Girl, I have to tell you something that I think you're going to like, but I kind of hate. Oh, God. I'm so conflict. I don't know. <laughs> what? I think that I have completely lost my ability to think that anybody in these documentaries is hot. Oh, okay. <laughs> great. Well, walking down the street, you think everyone's hot. I, 100%. Okay, great. Because right, yeah, yeah. Right. if I took that away from you, I feel like I'd be... <laughs> no. Like, your light would no. be a little dimmed. Like, you wouldn't really be you. Like, you know, you just wouldn't be yourself. I am what I am. And what I am is super gay. <laughs> I knew you were going to go somewhere with it, so I just let you have it. Jillian uh, Pensavale. Patrick Hines. I feel sad. <laughs> I feel sad. You guys, before we get to the show, we're getting so close to our last two live shows of the year. We've got Just for Laughs in Toronto in September. Mm-hmm. And then in Brooklyn on October 5th, we're doing a show with Lancey and Timmy from the Missing Maura Murray podcast. Also, Maggie Freeling is going to be at that one too. And I'm just letting everybody know what? I have a costume planned. Oh, interesting. And it is specific to the documentary. Okay. It's a real deep cut. Oh, I know what it is. <laughs> you do? I, know, I just landed on it. I know exactly what it is. Do you really? Yes. Okay, what do you think? I think I'm it's say I'll bleep it. Okay. I'm calling it right now. It's <gasps> is that right? Yes! Oh my god! That's so crazy! That's really it? Believe, it's really true. I can't believe you know me that well. Um, you guys also just the Patreon, don't forget, at the $5 level, you get over 90 full bonus episodes to download right the second. Episode by episode coverage of the disappearance of Madeline McCann, I the know. jinx, the staircase, yeah, and cereal. Then, like fun bonus episodes, you get some outtakes, you get us just messing like having yeah. fun and telling stories and drinking. Uh the Queen of Versailles. Yeah. Just really fun, random stuff. You can also get episode two of the Susan Cox Powell series that we're doing right now. Uh-huh. It's now available and ad-free at the $5 level on Patreon. It's going to be next week's episode, but it's also available ad-free right now at the $5 level on Patreon. Well, that sounds perfect to me. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of different levels where you get different things. Just go check it out. Patreon.com slash True Crime Obsessed. See what's right for you. Oh, ringtones too. Ringtones, ringtones. ad-free episodes, monthly yeah. surprises. There's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, it's like walking up to a bar. Yeah. Ooh. And then it's, everything is kind of what you want and you're like, what do I want? <laughs> the, the way that you said that just now made me think of that moment in A League of Their Own where Madonna said, what happens if I if I just bend over and my bosoms just pop out? I think there are men in this country who ain't seen your bosoms. You can't come out with a league of their own reference at me. And like I won't like that right on cue. Come on. It's one of the greatest movies ever. I'm glad we laughed a lot, but we gotta go get to this horrible sadness. I've been trying to delay it. Do you wanna talk about a league of their own a little bit more? Yes, I do, in fact. Girl, what are we doing this week? We are doing Oxygen's The Disappearance of Susan Cox Powell. Part one. Yes. Part two, just a reminder, is available right now and ad-free at the $5 level on Patreon. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be next week's full episode. Right. With ads. Right. Girl, this shit is crazy. This is so crazy. I feel a lot of things. Everything is bad. Um, (laughs) I took a shower after. By the way, you guys, trigger warning for every single thing under the sun. Oh, everything. Yeah. All right. Let's play this trailer and let's try to like let's try to find some levity in it. I I don't know. Good luck. (laughs) There was a lot of turmoil in this house. It's eerie to think something happened here. Really, right where I'm standing. Susan Cox Powell, who's beautiful. (laughs) She had these young boys, and then she just disappears. All of her friends say she would never leave her children. When's the last time you've seen her? Josh tells police he took their two young sons camping at midnight in sub-zero temperatures. 
Who would take their kids out camping at 2 o'clock in the morning, a 2-year-old and a 4-year-old? She told me that she was considering divorcing him. If something happens to me or my family, covering all my bases. I have no doubt that he was responsible. However, I could not prove it. Josh's father, Steve, was obsessed with her and in love with her in a sick and twisted way. He's stalking her, and he's created this fantasy that she's really wanting this. She knows I'm here. <laughs> he had something to do with it, no doubt in my mind. Is Susan's father-in-law the mastermind behind her disappearance? Move your hand, move the box. No! So, here we are. Daddy and daughter. It was this harassment campaign. There's nothing that could ever excuse what the police did to our family. It was unbelievable watching this thing unfold. I mean, how do you not be affected by it? Here's the thing about the way the oxygen does things. They did that whole thing where we start and they give us like all of these different like pieces of the thing that we're about to see. Like coming up on the Susan Powell series. And I knew nothing about this story. W how much did you know? Pretty much nothing. So much so that all in caps, I have, what am I about to watch? <laughs> question mark, exclamation, question mark, exclamation. This one cop's like, I really cannot tell you how much I have to talk about this case. You can retire. You can walk away. Every single person I will ever meet in my life will ask me about this. And someone's like, when I think of this case, I think that it is the most horrible, most tragic, right. most unbelievable, most nightmarish, most this. And I'm like terrified. It's I, two in the afternoon and I'm terrified. I just have girls. What happened? And then we find out the husband's a person of interest and I just have color me surprised. Yeah, they always did it. Right. <laughs> we meet Stephanie Bauer. She's an investigative journalist and our host and narrator and our Maggie Freeling for this journey. She's our Maggie. Yep. Stephanie's wonderful. My name is Stephanie Bauer. I'm an investigative journalist who's covered notorious crimes across the country for over a decade. From the beginning, we set out to piece together a definitive account of what happened to Susan Cox Powell. For the first time ever, Susan's family and the Powell family speak out. You know, the whole thing is like they find a horrible murder and then they get like a hot smart chick mm -hmm. to tell us what happened. Sure. I'm available, by the way. <laughs> Me too, by the way. <laughs> Stephanie says, from the beginning, we set out to find out what happened to Susan Cox Powell. I'm like, of course you did, Stephanie. Why else are we here? Right. That's, <laughs> That's why we make these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we learned that Susan Cox Powell mysteriously disappeared in 2009. Yeah. And for years, Josh Powell, her husband, has, has always been the main suspect. And then we learn about Stephen Powell. Oh, garbage. Sorry. <laughs> that, and, and for Josh, too. But Stephen Powell is Josh's dad. And we learn from the very beginning, he was absolutely obsessed with Susan. We uncover even more things obsessed does not no. like, how dare you take true crime upset like a word that we have <laughs> upset he was he was disturbed and disgusting and a stalker you guys it's unreal yeah. it's so so fucking disgusting and Steve Powell we also learned he just like films everything in his life for the first time ever we've unearthed boxes of home videos made by Josh Powell's father Steve these are all his original tapes. Yes. That were taken into evidence. Tapes that were taken into evidence. Steven likes to document everything. He takes like these bizarre lifelong videos. He films himself like putting deodorant on in the morning. And it's not good, guys. It's Up not close good. With those horrible, horrible teeth. I know. 
that stupid smile. I this guy has a very punchable face. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. And so does Josh. Like, there's just something about them. You're like, these people are. I don't like them. They're cre- every, literally the word that is most used to describe them in this documentary is creeps. Everyone thinks they're creeps. Right. And now we go back 15 years before Susan's disappearance, and we learn about Susan Cox. So we start meeting members of Susan's family. So we meet her sister Denise, Judy Cox, Susan's mother, Chuck Cox, her father, and we learn. You know, it's the same old story. You know, right. that she was determined and happy and supportive. And I say that because it's like another lovely person was taken in a tragic yeah. way. She really wanted to be a beautician, but most of all, she wanted to be married and have a family. She was very impatient to get to that point and was looking around for, okay, now I got to find me a potential husband. And that's when she met Josh. It's important to note that she grew up in the Mormon church. Yeah. They're very focused on family, as we've learned in many documentaries. And having a big family is is a really important pillar of, of what they do. She gets married really young, and that's not unusual in that faith. And so, honestly, she's on her way. She's doing exactly what she wanted. Right. So on April 6, 2001, Josh and Susan get married. And she's 19, and right. he's 23. So one of the things that's like unique about this documentary is that we get all of this like behind-the-scenes like video footage. Well, it's all the creepy father-in-law because he he filmed every second of his life. Right. It's all his footage. And it's objectifying her. He's not only very close physically with the camera, but then Uh he zooms in closely. And the minute you make that connection, you're like, these videos are all disgusting, even though they're like the reception of her wedding and things that should be a nice, lovely memory Uh that's been recorded. It's just like, this is super disgusting. The thing is, there's red flags everywhere. Josh is a dirtbag from the beginning. She tells the story about how she got there in engagement ring mm. so he was shopping for a ring and he told me it was gonna be for his mom so i was helping him look and he was looking at this ring that i have on he yeah. bought it and actually i paid for it so he could get the associate discount and then he turned around and wrote me a check for it uh-huh. we're too close <laughs> so then he eventually proposed they go to pick out the ring, which she has to then pay for. For the discount. For the discount. Which Steve was like, what's dirtbaggy about that? That's exactly what Steve would do. Steve, I know. Steve Steve loves a discount. Let me put it that way. But wink, then, wink. Love you, Steve. I, but you love a good discount. Look. <laughs> Because we know how this story ends. He is so horrible. But if you really like want to give your person something uh-huh. and you have to find a way to do it and it's this kind of unconventional way and the two of you are happy about it, totally. do what you have to yes, do. Totally. But Josh Powell is a piece of shit. <laughs> and just a dirtbag from the very beginning. And also during the scene where she's telling the whoever's holding the camera, it's Steve Powell, yeah. about this engagement ring, she says, you're too close. She, oh, the, the, and oh, he, she's he, in a wedding dress uh-huh. telling her engagement story at her reception with their family and friends and this creep is her father-in-law her father-in-law is so close to her that she has to say "Uh, you're too close while she's trying to tell this what she thinks is a cute story you know like it's just it's crazy because it takes a while for somebody to use the word stalking and we don't really get this guy Steve the (laughs) father not me check my notes (laughs) not me but like when you really watch it back like if you were to watch this twice you'd be like this guy is all over her all over her it's horrible so we meet other people and everybody hated Josh from the beginning he was loud he was overbearing his opinions were the only right ones he was obsessive I thought wow this guy just wants attention or something. There goes Josh into the sunset for something. He thought that he knew it all. And no matter what you said or did to him, 
He just shrugged it off. And Susan and Josh were only dating for two months before they got married. Right. And they met in like the Mormon singles circuit. Very different than the Orpheum circuit. Very different <laughs> from the Orpheum circuit, Rose. Very, very different. You're not getting 88 cents from me. Hey, LA, I'm coming your way. When you're 19 years old and you're dating for two months. Right. And then you want to get married because you're so... You just really want a family. Everyone who cares about you is like, can you just take just one half a step back? I know. You're 19. Even the mom, the mom says to her, I said, go out and date like crazy for a couple years and have fun. And she goes, well, what about Josh? And I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry, Susan. I look at Josh and I see darkness. Go crazy for a couple of years. That's when you know (laughs) your mother does not like the person you're with because my mom said that to me once. She did? Why don't you date around? (laughs) Get a little loose, Jilly. Why don't you like, you know, because she was, you know, you're young, you're this, you're that. And I was like, okay, I'm young, but I'm also the only child of New Yorkers, Italian and Irish. And when your mother says, why don't you see what else is out there? You know they are not thrilled. Daisy, that's code. Really think about yeah. that. <laughs> it, go see what I play the field. What are you doing? I'm like, what? Oh my God. The mom gets like weirdly spiritual for a second and she says, when I look at Josh, I just see darkness. That's not spiritual. At, I mean, it can be, but I feel like all of us have seen a relationship that's not great from uh-huh. the outside. And then your your friend is in it and you're like, what do I do here? Yeah. And the person is just sucking the life out of them and sucking their light away. He brings darkness when he's around. He's a, he's an annoying, obnoxious, narcissistic 23-year-old. <laughs> What's to love? Right, exactly. So, you know, we get more about like Susan loved the church. It was very centering for her. And we, we learn about this. I mean, we'll go into it a little bit later. But in the Mormon church, and it's not just Mormons, a lot of people who are very like religious feel this way. When you're married, you're married. You're in it now. Yeah. So Someone even says, if you're in the church, you get married, you're stuck. There's no way out. You just got to deal with it. You made the decision. In the LDS church, one of the most important beliefs that we have is that families are the most important thing after God. You just have to deal with it. Yeah, and Josh is also just a loser. So Total you, we're, loser. We're just loser. Getting, yeah. <laughs> I hate him. I know. We're getting this sense that Susan's kind of like, oh, maybe I should have played the field like my mom said a little bit. Josh tries to be a real estate agent. That doesn't work. So three years go by and Josh is doing nothing for himself. And then in April 2004, they're going to move to Utah because Josh was having trouble finding work. Shocking. Right. And <laughs> of course it was his idea. Let's move to Utah. Like, I promise you the conversation was like, this is what I want. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to isolate you from your family because that's what these people do yep. that are abusive people. They isolate you from everyone you love and everyone she loves was saying, can you get rid of this dirtbag, please? Right. He's a creep. <laughs> he's a loser. He's just not He's just not on the up and up. We don't like him. So he's like, let's go to Utah, right? So, But the thing is, too, they get to Utah. She ends up having two kids and they say this thing. I just hate it. When Charlie was born, she's really excited because she gave Josh a son. After she had Brayden, she had two sons. 
She was so proud because she gave him two sons. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait, let me retract that oh. thing. I mean, I mean, the sons are, their name are Charlie and Brayden. They're, oh, no. they're gorgeous little The boys. kids are amazing, but like she didn't give them to him. They had two children together. Right, and like he really wanted a boy. So when she gave him boys, like, wow. It she was, really like, nailed it. What a good woman. Remember in Mad Men where Pete's father-in-law was like, a thousand if it's a boy, 500 if it's a girl. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> literally putting value on us or no value on I us. Know. I know. It's very that antiquated like, well, but the boys. I know. And I also just, I also just, I just hate that patriarchal, like, she did him a service. Like, she's basically just a uterus for hire. Like, she had a choice. Right. I'm going to press the boy button. Like, what are you talking about? That's really not how it works, everybody. So then we get this whole thing about, like, how Susan seemed happy, but did anybody see the warning signs? By the way, spoiler alert, this goes south. Right. And actually, yes, they did. Her family in Washington said, we don't think he's good for you. But what are you supposed to do? You can't, like, force her to stay home. I know. But they did voice their opinions. She seemed to be on top of things. So as I got to know other circumstances, I was really surprised. Susan told me things leading up to her disappearance. Josh had all these expectations on her and just made her feel awful if she didn't meet up to all of these expectations. I do want to say, right when Stephanie, our hostess, is asking us, like, did anyone see the warning signs? We see this home video of Susan walking past Josh at a party, and she, like, smashes cake into his chest, and he gets really mad. And I thought that video was going to go a different way, because you saw his face change, like, how dare you embarrass me in front of all these people? When you know that she is the butt of his jokes in in mixed company all the time. You're absolutely right. I still was just kind of like, that's a really mean thing to do, Susan Coxbell. I would not be thrilled. I'd be like, really? But if... (laughs) But if I if I pushed you to that point, then I really have nothing to say. It's true. I, I could put my eye roll right away right. if I was emotionally abusing you and making you the butt of every joke in front of our friends. Agreed. I totally agree. It looks like you were saying that directly to me. I was. <laughs> Speaking of eye rolls, though, we meet Meg Wade, which is one of their babysitters, or oh, one yeah. of the babysitters they had. Most of the time, Josh was downstairs in the basement in his office. Josh was always in the home office she she does the air quotes she does the eye roll she does the sigh it's just more like Josh didn't really have anything going on which is interesting because I don't really necessarily know exactly what Susan did I mean cold when I listen to you I'm sure I'll know a lot more yeah she had a job we know that right but they did have two kids and a house so it's like this home office like what was he doing down there and then we start to hear like she's sort of whispering to her friends that he's pushing her and hitting her the emotional abuse has probably been going on for a long time the physical abuse is now starting to happen yeah and Meg the babysitter tells us like they were gonna go out for a date night or something and Meg was there to watch the boys and Susan was doing that thing like come on we're gonna be late like not yelling at him but he was probably in the other room like we gotta go we're gonna miss the previews that's my favorite part (laughs) you know something that you say in a relationship like Uh let's go I know you're at work like check out of work let's go I'm gonna miss the movie which everyone says in a relationship at one point you snap your person I'm so sorry about it and he flipped out right he turned and looked at her and was just I'm coming like it was like a switch he was screaming and the boy started crying and she's just telling her friend Tara like this is not the man I married like she feels really stuck her life is falling apart oh Tara she's like stuck in this marriage like she can't get out of it and we meet this woman, Jen Oxborough, and she is the executive director of the Utah Domestic Violence Coalition. She's with us throughout. She's amazing. She's amazing. And they edit her in at the most perfect times. It's true. To give us information yeah. about domestic violence. It's a type of violence and crime and abuse that 
is so private, it's so stigmatized, it's so embarrassing to people. Someone who is really highly controlling, um, highly jealous, controlling finances, these are things that aren't as obvious sometimes. All of these things cause serious emotional implications. And you don't have to be in an abusive relationship where it's physical. It right. can be mental. It can be emotional. It can be psychological. And that counts, too. You 100%. Know? So yeah. Jen is here to say, oh, just because there are no, no bruises on her that we see, that doesn't mean that it's not a really horrible situation. So now it's December 2009. They've been married for eight years. Yeah. And now people are now overhearing him threaten her. We all thought Josh was pretty harmless. Creepy, but harmless. But I did hear... Him tell her, over my dead body, will you leave me? Over my dead body, will you have those boys? Because now Susan's starting to speak up. Uh-huh. She's had it. It's eight years of this. She has two kids to care for and worry about. Yeah. That they had together. That she gave him. That they had together. Right. <laughs> God, I hate everyone. I'm sorry. You know, sometimes, you know, when we were recording and it just hits you in a wave. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. God damn it. I know. I had to realize that I can't think people are hot anymore. Well, that's really hot. We all me. have struggles. <laughs> So now it's December 7th, 2009. Josh's mother calls 911 to report Josh, Susan, and the boys missing. And not only do we have all of this video footage from Garbage yeah. Steve, we also have a lot of 911 calls. And this is the first one we hear. 911. So we hear the 911 call and then we learn that it was the babysitter that called Josh's sister to say that like the kids had never been dropped off. Right. And Josh's sister is Jennifer Graves and she's with us this whole time and yeah. I love her. I love her too. And Debbie mentioned that they had never shown up, which was really unusual. Susan was so dedicated to her children. It was really rather alarming. And so we decided to call the police. So the cops show up. There was this big snowstorm the night before. Right? Yeah. And so there's a lot of snow. And Utah is a snowy and freezing cold. Yeah. So <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> sounds amazing. Um, so they show up and they say to Jennifer, his sister and his mother. And they kind of had a little powwow and turned to us and said, well, we're willing to break into the house if you will take responsibility for the window. And so, of course, we agreed. Julian, please tell us what the cops said. They're like, look, okay. All right, we'll break into the house for you, but you need to be responsible for that window, all right? We're not paying for that shit. <laughs> so, you guys, the family is missing. This could very well be an active crime scene. The cop breaks the window. Because someone locked the door on their way out. Right. So, they go in, and they're like, oh, what's up with the fans? There's these two box fans pointing at the couch, like, obviously trying to dry the couch off, but no one's home. No, what they say is, uh, what's with this bullshit with the the uh, box fans over here. Hey, donate. What are these box fans? Did you, anyone have any? Can we get some pictures of the box fans over here? It's December in Utah. There was just a snowstorm. Box fans are only for some suspicious reason. And then Jen, the sister, goes into the bedroom. I got into their bedroom and Susan's purse was right there. That seems really odd to me that she would leave her purse behind. The sister's like, there's no way Jen would like leave her bag. No, you know, her keys or everything, but the door is locked. Someone locked the door on their way out. Right. Who would do that? Oh, someone who has it in their muscle memory. Exactly. Like Josh Powell. Oh God. So we meet lead detective Ellis Maxwell mm -hmm. and he gets to the scene and he's feeling like how I'm feeling. When I get there and I walked into the house and, and I see the cops in there and, and Jennifer Graves and these people in the house and I was just, I was furious kicked everybody out of the house 
and then started just taking photographs of everything in the home. He's furious that these people are trampling all over the crime scene. Right, because they get there at 10 a.m. He gets there at 2.30, and he's like, what the? Right. Yeah, it's like the Jean Benet case where everyone's like, come on in. Right. Do you want a drink? Do you want? Yeah, put your feet up. Everything has been moved. And he's just like, get out of here. Right. He kicks them all out. <laughs> just like that. That's actual live footage. Get out of here. Get out of here. That's it. <laughs> so he's like, all right, now that everyone's out, he's like, can we just get to work, please? He right. takes photos of absolutely everything. Right. So now we learn that on December 6th, which is the day before Susan goes missing. The day the big snowstorm. The day of the big snowstorm, this woman, Giovanna, spent the day with the whole Powell family. You are such a key figure in this because you are the last person to see Susan. It makes me, it really makes me sad that I didn't clue in to the fact that there was possibly going to be something that would happen to her. So basically, she's the last person to see Susan and the kids and everybody. Right. And so here's the timeline. So December 6th at 3.45, Susan calls Giovanna and says, come on over. Come hang, girl. Susan is knitting. Josh and the boys are in the kitchen. They're just like hanging out. And Josh was making pancakes for dinner now. (laughs) Jennifer, the sister, is like, that seems pretty pretty benign, right? It's Uh like Josh, like, you know, the dad cooking with the kids. She's like, until you realize. We heard later that Josh made pancakes, which doesn't sound very sinister, except when you realize Josh refused to make food. It's pretty sinister (laughs) because Josh wouldn't do anything for his goddamn self. She uses the word refuse. He refused to make food. What a fucking dirtbag. What a (laughs) dirtbag. And so then the thing he makes is pancakes. Right. So he delivers it to Susan in the living room with Giovanna and like puts a sweater around her and she's eating her pancakes. And then all of a sudden she like feels really sleepy. And I thought this was really weird because she invites her friend over and then says like, I'm going to go take a nap, but doesn't ask her friend to leave. Because she was probably drugged with the pancake. I never met Susan personally, but talking to her friends and her family, she was a fighter. Did Josh drug her or something? That's possible. But then Josh is like, uh, I'm going to take the boys sledding. Giovanna, you got to get the hell out of here. At and five o'clock, there's an impending snowstorm coming. Right. In Utah. I can't stress it enough. And Giovanna says, Josh told me he was going to go sledding and basically pushed me out the front yeah. door and drove off before I even had left. He was like, Arr! like peeling out. And she was still like, where are my God? Where are I can't find anything in this purse. Where are those keys? And Josh is out of here. And then no one hears from them for 18 hours. So now it's like noon, December 7th. So the last we left them, Susan was asleep in the room and Josh has gone at like five o'clock to take the kids, quote, sledding. Right. So Giovanna just sees a cop car who happens to be our detective, Ellis. Yeah. I was sitting in my cop car and Giovanna came to my car and told me she had just spoken to Josh. Plenty of people have called him. He hasn't answered. He hasn't returned any phone calls. But this random lady just shows up at my car and tells me she just spoke to him. And she's like, and she does a little <laughs> hand, like, roll down your window. And she's like, hi, I just spoke to Josh Powell. And he's like, what, what? Like, right. everyone in Utah is trying to get a hold of this guy. Right. But he answers the phone for Giovanna. Like, okay. And he's like, also, who is this person? Right. Giovanna, who are you? Like, thanks for the tip, but who, like, what? Right. He even says he's like some rando, like, knocked on my window. It's right. It's and, true. And then he hears the name Josh Powell. And he's like, oh, shit. All right, God. What's right. your name again? Spell it for me one more time. Is that two A's, two O's, Giovanna? Whatever. <laughs> but Josh had told Giovanna, like, I don't know where 
Susan is she should be at work like usual. Right. And Jovan is like, girl, you need to get home because your family's missing. Exactly. And he's like, oh, no, I'm with the boys and Susan's at work. She is terrified. Right. He is actively not. Exactly. And then we get the suspicious thing where like immediately after getting off the phone with Giovanna, he calls and leaves Susan a voicemail. Well, what he does is the stupid, this dummy. (laughs) So he talks to Giovanna, right? And then he turns around and doubles back and drives 20 minutes back to where he was. Uh Uh-huh. And calls Susan and leaves leaves her this very, like, super cash voicemail. Hello, Susan. We are on our way back. Hopefully you got to work okay. And he's doing this because he wants to, like, the cell phone ping or the towers. Yeah. But, hey, you fucking dummy, if that's the case, they know where you took Giovanna's call. Right. <laughs> you idiots. <laughs> you dead-eyed idiot. <laughs> I have the Italian hands. Do you see this? I, I can't handle it. Then Detective Ellis calls him and Josh answers. And Ellis is like, girl, you need to get back here right now. And he's like, I hear what you're saying. Mm. Unfortunately, I'm going to go in a different direction. <laughs> I'm going to take my kids to get dinner. And the cop is like, that's not how this works. And he also doesn't care about Susan. Like, he's not even saying, he's just like, oh, she's at work, right? Meanwhile, a cop and your friends and everyone's telling you that she's not. Right. So then he gets off the phone with a cop and doesn't go home. He drives to Susan's work which he's just been told over and over again Susan's not there then makes another fucking fake phone call and pretends to be waiting there to pick her up hello I'm out here so I'm waiting for you so anyway I'm um, in front I'll talk to you for a second Right, it's so stupid. And then I'm like, how do stupid people like this get away with murder? I, I don't understand. <laughs> I because what he's trying to do is have a map with timestamps. Exactly. But he doesn't, he gets like half of it because it's like, okay, well, first of all, if they know where you were when Giovanna called you, they also know what time she called you. Right. So now the timestamps don't match up because then you got off the phone with our friend Ellis. Yeah. But now you're going and leaving a voicemail for Susan after you were told by yet another person that she's not at work. Right. I actually have at this point, like, this is not a very well formulated plan. And then what do you do? Like, he leaves his message where he's like dur, dur, I'm here dur, 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 I guess I'll see you later here I am and then it's like so you just wait you don't go into her job exactly. you don't knock on a door you don't do anything and then you you never once are just like hmm well I guess everyone in Utah is right she must not be at work like it's so obvious and fake right. and how did he get away with it I know so then finally he gets home the police are there they take him downtown to like have an interview with him and we see the actual police footage of him like doing this interview with Ellis. When's the last time you've seen her? Probably about midnight of last night. He told me that he had left between 12.30, 1.30 in the morning and packed the van and, and the two boys up and went to go camping out in the West Desert. Did you just get up and leave in the middle of the night like that? I don't mean to do it in the middle of the night, but I mean, it was kind of odd. I mean, you know what I mean? So he's not at all worried about where Susan is. And he comes up with this insane story that the last time he saw Susan was between 12.30 and 1 a.m. when he woke up to just take the boys, his young kids, Mm -hmm. they're young enough to still be in diapers, Mm -hmm. to take them camping in the middle of December with an impending snowstorm. This is the story he's telling the cops. At 12.30 or 1.30 a.m. Yeah. And Susan was like, okay, no. I also have anyone who enjoys camping as a monster. (laughs) Totally. I mean, what kind of monster? Like sleeping in the woods? It's why we invented houses. I'll go to like a badass cabin. Sure. Tent? Yeah. Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm -mm. 
So now we're back to the day of the disappearance. Mm-hmm. So the cops let him leave that interview with the promise that he's going to come back the next day for his scheduled interview. Which is like a plenty of time for him to call around, maybe get some help, get a story straight, yeah, lie, they, clean things up. They also release the house to him and determine that they don't have enough to justify a search warrant for the house or the car. Right. So Josh just has the house and the car, the house where he probably killed her and the car where he probably transported her body to himself. But Detective Ellis is like, look. If there's anything different I could have done in the in the case it would have been to author a search warrant that night submit it and uh if it was approved then we would execute it uh if it wasn't then you know we would just move forward they left him alone with the kids in this house. So his sister, Jen, Josh's sister, Jen, remember her? Love her. She, the next day, the very day that he's scheduled to come back for his interview, at the very time he's scheduled to come back to the interview, the sister and the mom come over to just see like what's going on. Your wife right. is missing. Like what's happening? He's not at the interview. He's at home cleaning the house. Obviously. Doing laundry? Wait, remember he wouldn't even cook. He's doing laundry. He's like wandering around through the whole house, picking up things, trading out laundry out of the washer dryer. This whole situation was odd. I didn't know what he was really doing, you know? Is he did he do something to Susan? Jen's like, I hate everything about this. Yeah. I love when the family gets it. When the totally. family of the garbage gets it. <laughs> totally. And Jen gets yeah. it. Jen is on our side. Jen super gets it. So she's like, what the shit is this? <laughs> he hasn't picked up a sock in his 24 years, but he's doing he's simultaneously cleaning the house, cleaning the car, doing laundry. And you know what he's not doing? Making missing persons posters about his wife. Crying. Crying. Caring. Right. No, totally. So he finally gets down to the station for his interview four hours late. Without a word. Just like, oh, were you guys waiting for me? Right. No explanation. And we're with Detective Ellis now, and he's talking to Stephanie about how, like, they're watching the video of this interview. Go back to that day. What are you feeling knowing he's coming in and you get your crack at him, basically? I, I want to reach in there and slap him. <laughs> I want to slap him. He goes, I want to like reach through the TV and slap him. And I'm like, girl, same. <laughs> and the thing is, Josh looks just really annoyed that he has to be there. Yeah. He's not, there's no concern. But the detective is saying like, this guy is such a fucking idiot. He's making up a story. He's doing it wrong. The detective's like, you didn't even try to call her. He's like, no, 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 I did try to call her. And the detective's like, ah, but we know you had her cell phone. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I'm like, they drop in this big reveal. And I'm like, what's with the over the top music oxygen? It is so, I'm like, what? Like, we get Maggie it. would never have allowed that. Yeah. <laughs> My blood pressure's gotta be up right now. I mean, look at him. Look at him. Just sit there. He does not he does not express any remorse, any concern. Uh, he he's just sitting there nonchalant. He doesn't care that his wife's missing. And it's again like don't exaggerate. This is right. so tragic and horrible. I don't need the music. Right. Because they say to him like so you're saying you tried to call your wife, but you had her phone and you knew you had her phone. And he's like, "Oh right, I but I forgot that I had it." He's just getting caught in lie after lie. How is that right there not probable cause enough to arrest this guy? Right. And the thing is Josh is like fake crying right. and just saying I don't know to every single question yeah. except when Detective Ellis asked Josh, "Was she that she was she ever suicidal or depressed?" It was suicidal. He jumped all over that. Josh <laughs> jumps on this. <laughs> yep. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, that's the ticket. Like, right. absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And then he goes, but we didn't really talk about it, so I figured she was over it. Right. Heart of gold, this one. <laughs> Fucking charmer. Unbelievable. And the detective else is like, I had no doubt that he was responsible. However, I could not prove it. 
So they tell Josh that they have a warrant for his van, the van he was driving all around Utah. They're searching it. But the detective was like, you can go and we'll have your van back to you in like 15 minutes. Just sit tight. I can leave. Yeah, you want to leave? You can leave. Okay. Now, and you're keeping my phone or I'm going to keep your phone? Josh hung out in the lobby of the police department for maybe 15, 20 minutes. And then he just left. And also, we're going to keep your phone. Right. <laughs> So he lingers in the lobby for a little bit and then bails. He takes a cab to the airport. That should have raised some red flags. Right. Is he trying to skip town? Not yet. He is getting a rental car. Like he's paying to rent a car. And he could have had his van back in 15 minutes. Four minutes at this point. Because exactly. he just like lingered in the lobby. Right. Like trying to figure out what to do, I guess. Right. And his big idea, the light bulb <laughs> that just cracked. Remember in Beavis and Butthead, you don't, but I'm going to say it anyway. But Beavis and Butthead, when, when Beavis would, or Butthead would get an idea, there would be a really really weak light bulb and that it would just like <laughs> peter out because they never had good ideas because they were beavis and butthead uh-huh. that's what happened with josh and the police he was like it was just a little fizzy light bulb where it's like you know it's not gonna look suspicious if i rent a car from the airport for no reason when they're about to pull my car around not suspicious what are you like what what but josh looks at you, he's like jillian there was a dead body in my car i'm not gonna just drive around in that thing anymore and i'm like exactly i hate you but the other thing on this rental car, Josh drives 806 miles in this rental car. That's a lot of miles. He's off the grid for like 22 hours and they're like, was he moving the body? Here's another suspicious thing. What? The entire time that Josh is off the grid, there's zero activity on his cell phone. His father also has zero activity on his cell phone. And these are two guys that we'll learn later on are in constant communication with each mm-hmm. other and other people. And Stephanie, the host, says to us, No one called Josh or Steve and neither of them reached out to any one. This is the day after Susan disappeared and both of them are off the grid at the same time. They both their turned their off. phones off. Josh called from a payphone at the airport. Right, exactly. Turn their phones off. Pops, turn your phone off. Yeah. So they're both off the grid at the same time. They're both involved. Hello? Uh, exactly. Are you following us, everybody? <laughs> they're both involved and I hate them. So now we meet this, uh, who I've described as this creepy Slenderman looking crime reporter. His name is Chris Jones. <laughs> I have really taken away your ability to love, I think. He's like this tall, skinny guy and I can't think he's hot because I can't do that anymore. I don't have it in my heart, Jillian. <laughs> <laughs> Well, a small price to pay. <laughs> what does he tell us? He tells us that on December 17th, 2009, Steve Powell was interviewed by police. Steve Powell is Josh's dad. Right. And Susan's father-in-law. Right. He openly and immediately right. <laughs> admits. And it's one of those things that you're watching it and you're like, is he really going to say it? He's not I, even going to try to hide it. I know. He was, he says infatuated. No, no, no. It's more than that. It's more than an obsession. Yeah. It's just this really delusional thing for her. It was really horrible. Horrible. So as we're hearing about this, like we cut to this really close up shot of Susan that he is taking. When we say close up, it's not just he's zooming in. He has the camera like on her face almost. You have a nice profile too. It's really um, pretty. Again, remember, this movie is full of these tapes that the police seized from this guy. They're using them in this documentary. And she's saying things to him like, I'm going to have to leave this little bathroom, so you're going to have to get out of my way. And then she leaves the bathroom. We see this tape over and over and over I again. I hate it. She's walking down the hall away from him, and she's got like a shoebox over her butt. He's like, move it. Move the box. Like, he just wants to film her from behind. I'm going to walk past you now, so you don't oh. have to turn off the camera. Okay. No. No. Oh. Move your hand. Move the box. 
let me tell you about this tone. Yeah. The tone he uses, oh, move your hand, move the box. It's yeah. just like, why do you have to be so annoying about this, Susan? Uh-huh. Like, just let me creepily zoom in on parts of your body. Like, like she's the asshole. Like, she's the one who doesn't want to have any fun. It's so gaslighty and abusive. Yeah. It makes me crazy. And he would turn around and say, I wasn't being aggressive. Like, hear right. my voice. Like, Tw- what? Yeah. But that's the thing. 100%. That was her life. Ugh. So we learned that this obsessing started eight years prior to this when Josh and Susan moved in with him. Josh actually screwed up another job situation and they had to move out of where they were and they moved in with my dad. I think it's a comforter. Susan first told me that her father-in-law had a crush on her, which I thought maybe that's kind of odd. And this is in Washington State. Right. We can't go into all the footage because it's too gross. It's too much and it's too gross. It's too much. And you you get it after a while. You're like, as my friend Ted would say, where do I hit the I get it button? Like, oh my God. But there are, you know, videos like up her skirt and Uh they're they're from afar and videos of her like he's actually through blinds. It's almost like like this is a really bad Lifetime movie where it's like, who actually films someone through blinds? Right. And the the things that he's saying, he's narrating it, talking about how Josh doesn't appreciate her and oh, she's so beautiful. It's so fucking disgusting. And the delusion is she did this for me. Like if she would cross her legs or adjust her skirt. You know when you're right. sitting you just want to yep. make sure your yep. skirt's like totally flat. She did that for me. And so he has this delusion that they're in this sort of flirty thing together. And so at one point we learn he comes onto her and says like. My dad came on to Susan and, and made an offer like well let's just share. Josh and I can just share you. And Susan was so mortified and disturbed. She was a newlywed and completely devoted to Josh. This idea was completely disgusting to her. I mean, the, I, I... I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> Right. She's very focused on her family. She doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. She's in this place where she just like, she wants to be a wife and a mother. Now she's in this horrible situation. Right. And then we get Jen, our friend from the Domestic Violence Coalition. Yeah. Saying like, because of how marriage is viewed in the Mormon church, like men have the control and women don't have any power. Right. And then we learn a little bit more about Stephen. Stephen as a father, like he didn't believe in rules, but he had a lot of rules. Anything he said had to go, you know, it was just this total manipulative, like horrible thing. And he hated women. Surprise, surprise. Especially his ex-wife. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> he had a porn collection, whatever. And but a he's porn a creep. addiction, right. But like you can have porn, whatever, but he's a creep. Right. And so now that Susan is really starting to get a picture of like who her husband is, she's starting to talk to her friends. And one of her friends convinces her to go see a lawyer. A divorce lawyer. A divorce lawyer. And the lawyer and the divorce lawyer says to her, take a video of everything in your house. This is just so we can have like a catalog of all the things that are in your home in case you decide to leave him or he decides to leave you. The and assets. he's hiding assets. So we see Susan walking through her house with a video camera documenting things and she says covering all my bases, making sure that if something happens to me or my family or all of us that our assets are documented. If the words in case anything ever happens to me and the action of going to get a safety deposit box like she did mm-hmm. are coming out of your mouth, you gotta get out of there. And I know it's not that simple. It's I not. know it's not that simple. Right. I'm not blaming the victim. It just makes me so fucking sad for it's her. It's so sad. Because she knows. She's trapped inside of it and she knows it's all gonna go bad. Right. And Susan also had a handwritten will. And, and this. Even Detective Ellis sees it and he's like, man, what is this thing? So she explicitly says that this will is for her friends and family. And I quote, except for Josh Powell, husband, I 
don't trust him. Can you imagine when all of your life you've just wanted to be a wife and a mother and you have to write that sentence down on your will? I could, my heart hurts. It's horrible. And she says in her will, if I die, it may not be an accident, even if it looks like one. Take care of my boys. So now it's three days missing, December 10th, 2009. A bunch of shit's gone on. But now what's <laughs> happening is that the media is, is there. Everyone is like up yeah. in arms about this, obviously. And now the cops are interviewing everybody. And during their interview, someone tells police that Josh became obsessed with true crime. And I'm like, oh, God. Susan mentioned that her husband would watch these forensic shows and be fascinated by the criminals and what they did to cover up their mistakes. And he would say, you know, this guy's an idiot. If I were to do that, this is what I would do. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> Shit, that's really not a good look for, <laughs> for me, any of us. For you or right? you listening wherever you are right now, especially when your headphones accidentally get disconnected and, and one we're of screaming. us are screaming about it. It's always me going lesbian. Yeah, or just fuck him. Right. Like, just being the most, like, crass I could be. Something that my mom would be, like, really, would really hate to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the thing that you, someone hears in the grocery store in your next cubicle or whatever. Anyway. <laughs> So we learned that Josh was watching all these forensic shows again. (laughs) And he was fascinated by the criminals and what they would do. Because Josh's whole thing, like the narcissist that he is, he's smarter than everybody. This guy's an idiot. Here's how I do it. You guys, OJ wrote a book called If I Did It. I know. So Josh actually just like laid out his plan to people in a way saying, these guys are idiots. I was just watching this thing on ID last night. This dummy really did it wrong. Here's what I would do. Yeah. Josh told them the best place to hide a body would be in a mine. There's thousands of these mines and therefore, you know, the body would never be discovered. There are all these mines in the deserts of Utah. And then you cut to his Goog search. Right. (laughs) You know what he was giving Googs? Like remote areas with lots of mines and all this, everything where he was like, you know what I should do to hide a dead body? He Googed it. And remember, you guys, the night that Susan went missing, where was he? Uh, On a camping trip in the desert with his sons. And Stephanie says to us, she's like at one point driving down the highway. All I can think about is... Did Josh Powell drive on this very road with his sons in the back seat and his dead wife in the back of their car? Is that conceivable? It's horrible to think about. It's like every second of this just gets worse and worse. I am so tense. I know. But guess what? The cops are out in the desert searching all the mines, trying to find Susan's body. So just real quick, now everyone in the world is trying to get an interview with Josh. No one can find him. Remember the Slender Man, the tall Slender Man reporter? <laughs> Chris Jones. Who is lovely. And does not Don't call a- him Slender Man. <laughs> he looks like Slender Man. He's on our side here. I'd be thrilled if somebody called me Slender Man, just for the record. Anyway. Well, this guy, he's like, you know, I'm going to go like check out his sister's house just on the off chance that he might be there. This Slender Man finds him in the street. We drove over, we parked, and literally, as soon as the wheels stopped in the snow, I'm like, that, that's him, that's Josh. And we started rolling the camera. Josh? Hey, I'm Chris Jones from Channel 2, how are you? Okay. And he's like, hey, I'm Chris Jones, Channel 2, how are you? And he's like, is everyone seeing this? Is it here? Like, are we up? Are we up? He gets this, like, one-on-one interview with Josh. And he's like, I want to handle this with care because he's going to run. Yeah, And he's totally. a creep. Yeah. Obviously. He like, everyone thinks he's a creep. murder me in the street. Right. He totally will. And he's like, I was just giving him, like, softballs, like, right. softball questions. He goes, he had the worst answers to just these basic questions. Like, Chris could have asked him, like, what time is it? I know. He would have been like, I went camping, Josh says this thing about, like, he gets the day wrong, and he's like, yeah, I thought it was Sunday. I don't even know what he's talking about, but Chris Jones is like, you know, what are you, what exactly are you talking about? Did you think there were two Sundays in a row? 
he was like, the thing about it is that I knew she wouldn't be at work because it was Sunday, but then I knew she would be at work because it was Sunday. And so then it was Sunday and then the next day was Sunday and then the day before it was Sunday. And Chris is almost like like in the street of Utah, all bundled up, right. almost trying to look at the camera and make eye contact like you guys are seeing this, right? Yeah, Josh is a fucking idiot. The bottom line is that Josh is super uncomfortable. He's also not trying to help in any way. He's not trying to help. He's not sad. You know, there's no way you're supposed to necessarily act when your loved one goes missing, but maybe do one of the 10 things. Right. So back to Stephen Powell, the dad, the father-in-law. He had an alibi when Susan went missing because he was in Washington State with three of his adult children who lived with him. Right. And Stephanie says, like, just because he didn't actually perpetrate the crime doesn't mean he wasn't the, quote, mastermind. She says mastermind. Yes. Could Steve be the mastermind? mastermind behind Susan's disappearance. Can a father's influence prove deadly? So we learn about the Powell family. Yeah. Jennifer Graves is the oldest. She's on our side. She's the only good one. Yeah. Then there's Josh. Then John, who was mentally ill, says Jennifer, but she doesn't really go into detail. And John is probably great, too. He's done nothing wrong. Right. He's not involved in this. Then Michael. Then Alina. And there's Alina. Footi- there's footage of Steve taunting her about her weight, which makes me I know. crazy. Yeah. I don't like Alina. I'm going to say that right now. Right. But that doesn't take away from how horrible it must have been to grow up in a house with a dad who hates women and berates you every day. I got to say, I know a lot of dads are great. I know your dad is great. Every time I see some shit like this, I'm so glad that I grew up and my dad was my mom's girlfriend, Terry. Uh-huh. I, I say, I, I'll say it once, I'll say it a million times. Second time you said it, actually. So if we're going to keep count. We're going to get to million. <laughs> So remember Sister Jen, the one that we like, Josh's Sister Jen? Right. She's the only good one from that family. Because the dad pitted them all against each other. And thank God she was on the right side of history with this. She was ostracized, but then became the good one. Yeah, she's the only one who like fully believes that Josh and the dad either did the murder, know what happened, know where the body is. And she's kind of like sick of playing games. She's like, I'm going to go get some goddamn answers. 46 days after Susan's disappearance, she like calls the cops herself. And she's like, I don't know what you bitches are doing. (laughs) I have an idea. Josh isn't the only one who's watching true crime shit. I want to wear a wire and I want to go into this party where everyone in the room hates me and I want to get Josh alone. And I'm not making fun of her. I think it's a badass thing to say. I'm going to walk into the lion's den and I think I can get him to say something that is useful to you. Detective Ellis, what does he say? She says, what do you think about sending me into Stephen Powell's home wired? Kind of like what they do on TV. And I thought to myself, you're crazy. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and he's you, like, absolutely not. And Jen's husband is like. My wife's kind of gutsy. And when she finally gets an idea in her head, she doesn't let go of it. Let me tell you something. When Jen wants to do something, she does it. Guess what? Who was in there the next day within 12 hours wearing a wire? Oh at my some- God. That must be the worst party in the world. Can you imagine being with all those narcissists no! and terrible people? So she shows up at her dad's house, which is, again, full of her brothers and sisters and her father. None of them like her. They actively hate her. Right. But they welcome her in and they're like, uh, you want to have dinner with us? Because they could like emotionally and mentally abuse her the whole time. Right. How fun. <laughs> I just got home from work, so I we haven't even had dinner yet. So if you guys are, are I'm sure there's a way to. Um, are you having that pork or what? Also. You can barely hear anything. It's staticky. The mic is rubbing up against her blouse or whatever. Until finally we can. But at first I'm like, is this really what it is? I know. It sounded different on the wire. We're just like hearing this dinner party. Of course, there's like one of like the little boys is like screaming about his birthday. Sure. And, and then finally, Jen is like, you know, it was getting near the end of the dinner. Like, I'm going to get Josh alone. I got I to gotta try. She quotes signals to her husband, which is probably a big <laughs> wink and a big head jerk. Going that way. Going into the foyer. 
You coming in? <laughs> so she gets Josh alone, and it's sort of a slow wind-up. It's not like the SVU moment I was right. expecting. But you really can hear it. You can hear it better than we could at the beginning. Totally. And then I'm like, oh, shit. And in my head, I'm like, I, and now I feel like I'm in the van down the street with the cops, too, listening. Dude, yes, and I'm totally. like, this is so crazy. Well, I literally have my notes. What's the plan, Jen? What are you going to do? Uh, we've been hearing rumors. So Jen's like, everyone can see me, right? but this is my last chance to do yeah. it. So she's just like, I don't know what you've been hearing, <laughs> but everyone on like channel two and channel four and like all the local news, like there are rumors going around that you are going to be arrested in connection to Susan's disappearance. Right. Josh plays dumb, not hard to do. <laughs> And Jen's like, look, and it's actually a great idea. She's like, you know what you should do? Just do a plea bargain. Like, she's trying to act like she's totally on his side. Uh-huh. And this will be helpful. And if you just tell me, like, if you do a plea bargain, like, you'll be fine. Right. And he's not buying it. So finally, she just, like, pulls a Patrick. And she's like, what'd you do with the body, Josh? Where is she? <laughs> I haven't gotten what I wanted. I was feeling really quite desperate. And they're getting ready to go. I've got to do something. I've got to do something. So I pushed Josh and was like, tell me where her body is. Just tell me where her body is. I know that I'm laughing and that's horrible and I feel bad. Right. I'm just laughing because I'm actually really nervous for her. Yes. Like if we have been made to feel like if she gets found out with this wire, she's going to be murdered in this house. Right. And Jen's like, look, I don't, I'm not going to leave here without getting what I came for. And also at this point, the music is so awful and distracting. I know. And it's so much louder. And I'm like, who mixed this? Like the levels are awful. <laughs> I know. But so then like, so, she's just screaming, like, where is she? Right. Not screaming, but she's just demanding. Where is she? Yeah. That, no, that's you. Yeah. So Josh doesn't bite. He's super mad. He's storms out of the room and basically like goes and tells on her like dad she thinks I killed my wife and he's being very Casey Anthony about this you yeah. don't know how hard this is for me you don't know what I'm going through and exactly. I'm like Casey is that you I know so now the dad is aware of what's going on this is now a full blown think about the worst Thanksgiving you've ever been to multiply it by, <laughs> by 10, 10 million because they're all yelling at each other right Steve is gaslighting Jen being like you know you've always had a problem with reality that made me see I know red. And they don't know that she's necessarily wired, but the dad is calling her a bitch. Uh-huh. They're also calling Susan a goddamn lying bitch for right. all this oh, craziness. Right. Exactly. And Alina joins in and she's like, who cares? Susan sucked anyway. Like, no one will miss her. And I'm like, what I is know. happening? I know. And the dad is saying, like, we think that she was kidnapped. No, listen to what is happening. The dad is saying, we think she was kidnapped. Meanwhile, Alina's calling Susan a lying bitch. Mm-hmm. No one's looking for her. Nary a missing person flyer has been made. A press conference held. Uh A vigil. A tear shed. Right, exactly. And so ultimately, Jen just leaves. And she's like, well, I tried. I just cried. Because I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get the confession that I knew was there. And so it ends with Stephanie, the host, is telling us, like, the only person who's never told her side of the story is the sister Alina. She was the youngest one. She was the one who actually, like, lived in the house when Josh and Susan lived there when we found out that the dad had mm-hmm. the obsession. And she's and- one of the alibis when Susan is missing. Stephen has an alibi because Alina's one of the adults that were there. Right. And so she's never told her side of the story. And we're promised that, like, on the next episode, we're going to learn how what Alina has to say is going to take everything we just heard and it's going to turn it inside out. Right. And it ends with like the slate and like Alina are you ready can I just get a sound check yeah yeah. you know with the mic's being can we get it and then it's like and that's how it ends (laughs) 
you guys, I just want to remind you, for the Patreon fam, you can get episode two right now at the $5 level ad-free. If you're dying to hear what happens next, go join the Patreon go fam. Do it. And here, we get really ragey, and it's a really, really, really crazy episode. Girl, we did it. I'm proud of us for getting through episode I know, one. I know. You guys, just a reminder, we've got two more live shows this year. The first one, September 26th in Toronto at the Just for Last Festival. Mm-hmm. It's going to be such a great show. Yeah. Come see us. And then Saturday, October 5th in Brooklyn with Lance and Tim from Missing Maura Murray and Maggie Freeling. Mm-hmm. I've got my costume plant. Jillian knew what it is. <laughs> Which I kind of can't believe happened. It's really amazing. Come, you really have not lived until you've seen us live. It's so, so fun. Yeah, and all we can promise you is fun because we don't really know what else is going to happen. Right. But it'll be a good time. <laughs> That's I absolutely true. That. A reminder about the Patreon, 90 full bonus episodes to yep. binge right this second. Yeah. Episode by episode coverage of the serial staircase, making a murderer, the disappearance of Madeline McCann. Lorena. Lorena. OJ, Casey Anthony. Yeah, there's so many things. Yeah. There's other levels, ad-free levels, ringtones, the after party, which mm-hmm. is just so oh, crazy. Last week on the after party, we reflected over our first hundred episodes I and know. shared our favorite memories. It was really fun and oh. sweet. You guys, we're not going to play the trailer this week because it's just part two of this. Right. So stay tuned for our hilarious and amazing outtakes. Yeah. TM, 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 TM. Have fun. Get through it. Have some tea. Whatever you got to do. Just brace yourselves. <laughs> we love you so much. We love you. Thanks for holding our hands through this. We need it this yeah, time. Yeah, this huh? one was really it's tough. tough. Thanks. All right, bye. bye. I will say, too, right at the top, we meet a detective named Gary Sanders. Isn't mm-hmm. that like a comedian's name? Gary Shandling? Maybe. Is no, there... you know what you're thinking? Gary oh. Shandling played Larry Sanders. That was his character <laughs> in the Larry Sanders show. I was like, wait a, wait a second. No, I, I'm shocked, absolutely shocked that we're referencing the Larry Sanders show right now. <laughs> Hello, Steve Brown husband. Like, he's <laughs> such a doof. And then Bad Teeth gets it right from his father. God. <laughs> yeah, and so then... Who's Stephanie? Oh, Stephanie. So then we... Who? May she rest. The Maggie, right. They go to her job, and her friends at her job say there's a safety deposit box. It's actually safe deposit box. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. You couldn't just let that one go. You See, now a couple months ago, you would have been like, who's this tall drink of water? I know, but you you sucked all the love out of my heart. Is this all part of your plan to get me to now be lusting after all these people? Because it's not going to work. I just think he's a nice person who's trying to do his goddamn job. He's on our side. The sister's like, there's no way Jen would like leave her bag no. and her purse, which are the same thing in they this instance. Exactly the same thing. <laughs> this is where you go straight to Team Mike. Yeah. Where I'm like, oh, cool. You can hear the coyotes. You two are just like, but they. No, because it's a mur- it's a murderer with a coyote whistle. No, no, no. I'm like, they're my friends, the coyotes. And they're like, <laughs> and you're like, you're crazy. <laughs> Not every dog wants to be your friend. And I'm like, that's where you're wrong. That's where you're wrong. <laughs> That's right. how I will end up on A&E right. and that show about the people who think they're friends with the wild animals. Is that the girl that made fun of the guy that got eaten by bears that then got eaten by coyotes? Yeah. Yeah, that's her. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> I don't know how you do that all the time. Ouch. Get out of here. Ouch. I know. It hurts. I'm telling you. I'm taking one for the team. Yep. <laughs> 